In John chapter 1, we talked about this chapter last week, and I want to come back to it again today and talk to you about the subject, Home for Christmas. And uh, it's one of the things that we are have a common theme in our lives. Just about everybody wants to go home for Christmas. We sometimes get tied up with our careers and with education, busyness all year long. But we come to the Christmas time and we get that inner yearning and longing inside of our soul to go back home. It's as though we oftentimes want to revisit those places and those days of growing up. We want to go back to the place where all of our childhood memories took place and uh, there's sometimes a lot of extra time and expense that's involved in it, but it's worth it, amen, to get to go back and get to be home. Nobody probably tries harder to make that happen than dad and mom because parents have a love and have a way of going the second mile to bring the family back together at Christmas time. It reminds me of the year when Christmas was approaching very quickly and the kids in this family were all grown and now they had moved away and lived on their own and they all lived in different states that were tied down with their careers and with their families of their own and they had missed being with mom and dad the last couple of Christmases and it looked like this was going to be year number three that they were not there and celebrate Christmas together. It was the day before Christmas and the elderly man in Phoenix called his son in New York and he said to him, he said, I hate to ruin your day, but I have to tell you that your mother and I are divorcing. 45 years of misery, he said, is enough. We're sick of each other. So he said, you call your sister in Chicago and tell her. And he hung up. Frantically, his son picked up his phone and called his sister and and she, when she heard it, she exploded on the phone and she said, no way they're getting a divorce. I'll take care of that. And so she called Phoenix immediately and got a hold of her father and she said to her father, you are not getting a divorce. Don't do a single thing until I get there. I'm going to call my brother back and we'll both be there tomorrow. Until then, don't you do a thing. Do you hear me? And the man hung up the phone and he turned to his wife and he said, okay, honey, the kids are coming home for Christmas this year. <laughs> and not only that, they're paying their own way. <laughs> well, that's not the best way to get your kids home for Christmas, but that might be one way. On December the 17th, 1903, after four attempts, the Wright brothers finally flew their flying machine for the first time. Wilbur rushed to the local telegraph office and he sent the following message. We have flown for 12 seconds. We'll be home for Christmas. Upon receiving the telegraph, their sister Catherine went to the newspaper office and told the newspaper office the news. And two days later, the newspaper printed on the Six page, the headlines of that page, Wright Brothers, Home for Christmas. Amazingly, Home for Christmas had trumped the fact that they had flown for, for a few seconds, 12 seconds. That didn't matter. They were just coming home for Christmas. And I think that's kind of the way some of us are. 
A lot of other important things are kind of set aside, aren't they? Don't, don't mean so much when we think about getting home with our families and spending time with our family. I've been asked many times through the years, are you going to be home for Christmas? Are your kids coming home? And now that my parents are gone and, and now home is here for me, I've asked other people the same question. Why is that? Why do we ask, are you coming home for Christmas? I think it's because there's something deep inside every one of us that we want to have a place to belong, a place that we call home. I remember when I was in college, my dad was a pastor and he moved a number of times uh, through the years as I was growing up. We lived in Virginia, we lived in Maryland, um, outside of Washington, D.C., and one time while I was at college, my dad and mom moved, and some, somebody asked me there, they said, where do you live? I said, I don't know. <laughs> they had moved, and I hadn't been to the place where they lived and didn't know exactly where it was, but there's something about a longing in us to have a place called home, isn't there? Even many of the secular songs that we sing at Christmas time, the song, I'll Be Home for Christmas, was written during World War II, and it captured the longing of the soldiers to want to be home. Even if they couldn't be home physically, they said, they would be home in their dreams. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. It speaks of a long time ago, expectations that we had of a white Christmas and a, a wonderful Christmas. And those expectations were oftentimes met. And sometimes they were not in our lives. But there's a longing for things. And sometimes there's a longing for things that never happened. Did you ever notice how we have, our memory gets better in some ways when we get older? I was talking to a fellow one day that played basketball when, when I was in college, Steve Robertson, some of you know Steve, and Steve told me one day, he said, Tim, he said, the older I get, he said, the better I played in those early years. <laughs> the story kept getting better through the years, but sometimes we long for things that maybe didn't even happen exactly like we think they did or they should. But that longing, it's, not a, it's no secret. We want to have a Merry Christmas. We say that to many people, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. And while most shoppers are smiling and putting their shekels in the red kettle, one man told them when he went by the red kettle and ringing the bells, he said, would somebody stop ringing those terrible bells? And later another lady walked by and she had a big frown on her face and she just said, bah humbug, muttered something else and went on her way for her shopping. Barbara Brown Taylor catches the flavor of the tendency to romanticize Christmas and she said this, she said, every Christmas Eve functions like a kind of time machine for us, taking us back to every other Christmas Eve we've spent on this earth. For some, it's the smell of pine and the taste of roast turkey or ham. It's mom and dad sitting around in their robes, sipping coffee while the kids chase the new puppy through the sea of wrapping paper. For others, it's a night to remember the way life should have been but never was. There are those who look at life and they look at it sometimes through the windows of other people. Christmas is not merry for everybody, is it? Some folks have had a home that was not filled with domestic bliss. They always kind of felt a little bit like an outsider. And some can't even go home. Some don't want to go home for Christmas. Others are afraid to be with family because home was not a happy place growing up. I remember some years ago, we used to run a bus route for church up to what was called Ida Spence and then City Heights, and I think it's all torn down now, but 
there were some young ladies who came on the bus to church, the Sunday school, and, and uh, they would come, and they loved coming to church. And a number of years later, one of those girls had grown up, and she came back to visit church. And she said to me, she said, you know, preacher, she said, the only time we felt safe was when we came to church. And she said, sometimes at home we would even play church. It would make us feel safe. Some people don't have a home that they want to go to at Christmas time. They don't have the joys and the memories. And, and some people feel a little bit homeless at this particular time of the year. And Christmas for some people might be warm, but for other people it's weird. Your home might be beautiful, but for somebody else it might be broken. You may be filled with delight and laughter, and yet there's other people that are already getting disappointed. John Ottberg suggested that there's the home we long for and the home we have, and there's always a gap between them. I thought that was interesting, the home we long for and the home we have. We all know that Joseph and Mary were away from home on that first Christmas, weren't they? They didn't get to stay home. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20 says, Joseph is told, take unto thee Mary thy wife. The idea was take unto thee. He was to take Mary home as his wife. But that didn't last very long because they had to travel to Bethlehem. The shepherds also, they, because of their nature of their work, were out in the fields. They weren't home for Christmas. The wise men had wandered away from home so that they could come and could worship the Lord. The family of Jesus set up their home in Bethlehem for a while. Then they had to flee to Egypt and then back to Judea and finally ended up in Nazareth. And later Jesus made Capernaum his home base. But during the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible actually says on one occasion that Jesus said he had no place to lay his head. He didn't have a place called home. And Jesus, as you and I well know, literally was very far away from home when he was here on this earth because he came all the way to heaven to earth so that we could have eternal life. We all long to belong. We have that desire to be a part of. Some of us will be homeless. Some of you this morning are homeless, and you will be homeless until you find God and put Him in your heart and in a rightful place in your life. There's a longing for home inside of every one of us that no human being can satisfy. It can only be satisfied by the Lord Jesus Christ. The word home is used 186 times in the Bible. And if you study further, you'll find that there is a distinction between home in the Old Testament and home in the New Testament. I want us to look at a few passages this morning. First of all, in relation to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we find that we are homesick for God. We are homesick for God. Ever since Adam and Eve were put out of the Garden of Eden, there's been a deep homesickness inside the heart and soul of every man or woman that has ever been born. You have in you an emptiness that can only be filled by the Lord Jesus Christ. A deep longing for belonging that can be traced through the entire Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 8 and verse 9, you read about Noah. And Noah, you remember, after the rain stopped, he sent the dove out to, to search for a place. And the Bible says, But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot. And she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. 
It uses that phrase, the sole of her foot. It says, for the sole of her foot, she found no rest for the sole of her foot. That word, soul, that phrase, sole of the foot, literally means home. The dove found no home. That's kind of a cool description, isn't it, of home? A place for the rest for the sole of your feet. Some of us like to go home, take our shoes off, lean back in the recliner and prop our feet up, don't we? Rest for the sole of our foot. We're looking for security. Not just a place for our feet, but a security for our soul. A security for our heart and, and for our life. The psalmist observes the sparrows and the swallows finding holes, and he longed for the same sense of security for his life. It's almost as if he feels jealous that they have unlimited access to the home that God has provided for them. And he says in Psalm 83 and 84 and verse 3, Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They shall still be praising thee. God says we find rest in the house of God. We come here and we get to find rest. We find rest for our souls when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We find rest in our families when we come and learn how to live and have a godly family and how to, how to honor the Lord. In Psalm chapter 90 and verse 1, Moses, who spent most of his life wandering in the wilderness, declares that home is where God is. He said, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Home is where God is. In Psalm chapter 91, verses 1 and 2, he echoes that same sentiment. He says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. And the very last verse of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6 pictures for us a day when houses and, and homes, houses literally are transformed into homes, when it says that the hearts of the fathers are turned toward the children and the heart of the children to the, is turned toward their fathers. You remember, the Bible says, honor thy father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee. And thy days may be long upon the earth. God promises to us, if you want things to be well with you, honor your father and mother. And I think Christmas time is one of the wonderful times when we can honor our parents. And part of the reason why we so often want to come home is to honor them. But we also ought to honor our heavenly father. We ought to have, a, in a sense, a homesickness for God. Our Christmas celebration ought to be incomplete lest we take some time to spend it with God, to honor Him, to remember Him. And that's one of the reasons why we're here this morning. That's one of the reasons why we'll be back tonight, because we want to honor God. We want God to be part of our celebration. In fact, that's what it's all about. It's about God, isn't it? If it were not for God sending His Son, we'd have no reason to celebrate. We'd have no reason to have Christmas. Even if we could return to a place where everything seemed complete, we would find that somebody is always missing. We're homesick, not just for the past. Sometimes we're homesick for a home that we've never had or never really 
enjoy, just something that we imagined. It's something that's more than just nostalgia. It's something that is profound because what we long for is not really the Christmas from the past. What we long for is the Christmas from the past and the Christmas from the present and the Christmas from the future and bring all of that into harmony. And we want to see that in, achieved in our lives, and yet many times we do not. What we long for is to have the broken and scattered pieces brought together in ways that we are unable to do, but God can. And that's why I've concluded that our homesickness, in some ways, is a yearning for God. You see, if we get in a right relationship with God, everything else kind of falls in place, doesn't it? Remind me of a little boy whose father was busy working in his office, and he, his son kept asking him questions and different things, and fi finally the dad gave him a map of the United States, a puzzle to put together. And the young boy didn't know where all the states and everything could go, and his dad thought that'll keep him busy and take a while for him to get it all done. And in just a few minutes, the boy came back and had it done. And he said, how did you finish it so fast? The little boy said, well, on the back of it was a picture of Jesus. He said, when I got Jesus all together, the map was all together. When we get God right in our lives, everything else falls in place, doesn't it? And that homesickness that we have for the Lord, by the way, don't ever lose that homesickness for God. Amen? We ought to always have a longing. David said, as the deer panteth after the water brook, so my soul panteth after thee, O God. We ought to always have a longing and a desire for God. So in the Old Testament... We're home for God, homesick for God. In the New Testament, God is homesick for us. God is homesick for us. A case could be made that the New Testament shows God longing for us. In fact, that's why he sent his son, isn't it? So that we could have fellowship with him. That's the core of what Christmas is all about. God is homesick for us. Man's fellowship with God was broken back in the Garden of Eden, and that fellowship has been restored as man has come to God. But when Jesus came, he died on the cross and shed his blood to make full payment for our sin so that we could be in fellowship as if Jesus came and he reaches up and takes God by the hand and he reaches down and takes man by the hand and he brings us together. And God the Father so loved us. He had a homesickness for man, that we could be back together again. In John chapter 1, if you look at verse 14 of our text this morning, it says, and the Word was made flesh. That's Christmas, isn't it? God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. A grandson was visiting, or a grandfather was visiting his grandson one time, Christmas time, and the grandfather walked into the family room, and he, he saw a little toddler in a playpen, and he's crying, and his face was all red, and his tears running down his cheeks, and when little Jeffrey saw his granddad, he lifted up his eyes and lifted up his hands, and he reached up to him, and he said, out, Papa, out. Huh. 
what grandfather could resist that kind of a plea? And so he walked over to the playpen, and just as he reached down to lift his little buddy out of captivity, marched in law and order with a dish towel over her shoulder, and she said, Jeffrey, you know better than that. You're being punished. Leave him right there where he is, Dad. And she marched out of the room. Grandfather didn't know what to do. Tears running down the little boy's face and his outstretched arms tugged at his heart. But he didn't want to interfere with his mother's discipline. He couldn't stand being in the same room and not being able to do something about it. But he couldn't leave the room and feel like a traitor at the same time. So Grandpa had an idea. Since he couldn't take Jeffrey out of the playpen, he decided to climb in the playpen with him. And that's pretty much a picture of what God did for us. Amen? The first part of verse 14 says, The Word became flesh. God came down here with us. It's the single most unique quality of Christianity that makes it different from all the other religions. God became man. God became flesh. And then the verse goes on to say, he dwelt among us. That phrase, dwelt among us, literally means to make one's tent. To make one's tent. When you go camping, some of you love camping, some of you don't. I used to go when we were kids. Sometimes our Sunday school class would go of boys. We'd go camping and Vicky's family used to do a lot of camping when they were growing up. My camping today is the idea of a, of a Holiday Inn or a Hilton. As long as it's got a breakfast in the morning, you know, that you can have something to eat. But when you go to a campsite, you always get to know the other campers around you. In fact, it's kind of difficult to have any privacy when you're at a campsite. Everyone can see what you're doing. And in a sense, you might say, Jesus pitched his tent among us. He wanted to be familiar with us. He wanted to be on good terms with us. He dwelt among us. He wants to be close to us. He wants to have interaction with us. The word dwelling is the same word that's used for tabernacle in the Old Testament dwelt among us, make one's tent. What was the tabernacle in the Old Testament? It was a tent. The tabernacle was a portable tent where the glory of God dwelt in the days before the temple was built. And after spending three years with Jesus, the disciples in the New Testament finally found a home with Him. They're at home with Him. They get to have a relationship with Him. They're growing in that relationship. They have a sense of belonging, of identity, a sense of purpose in their lives. The same is true for us when we come to know Christ as our Savior. He gives us a purpose for living, doesn't He? He gives us a sense of belonging. One of the reasons why we like to come to church is because it's, we, we have a sense of belonging, belonging to the Lord, belonging to each other. And what a privilege it is to get that sense that we belong to the Lord. But then, after three years... John 14 tells us that Jesus told him he was going to leave. 
And that really shakes them up when he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He spent three, three and a half years with them, and they've got to know him, and they feel a part, and they're one of his disciples, 12 of them there. And, and now he says, I'm leaving, I'm going back to heaven. But he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. And then guess what he told them next? He told them about a home that he's preparing for them in heaven. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. He tells them that there's a home, and he is going, and he's preparing a place. wonder why he called it home again. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever have a longing for that home? We want to be home for Christmas, but one of these days we're going to get to be home for eternity. If we're saved and a child of God, we're not suicidal, but that's a home that we long for and we look forward to. Let me give you a little background about homes in that culture. Many lived in what was called an insula. It's a housing arrangement. In the center would be the courtyard where the animals would walk around and they would have common fire pits where they would do their cooking and on the outer edge of the courtyard were the homes that were built or the dwelling places or the tents. And when a young man wanted to get married, the parents would arrange a contract and negotiate the bridal price. By the way, that negotiating the bridal price, that's where we get the phrase bought with a price. The Lord says, we're not redeemed by silver and gold but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're bought with a price. We're bought with that precious blood in order to become the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in those days, the couple would be betrothed, and there was no wedding date set at that point because the father and the groom-to-be, they had to get to work building an addition onto the, onto the father's house or onto the homes that were around that insula. And he was highly motivated to work quickly because when it was completed, when the house was ready, the father would say to the son, now it's finished, go get your bride. And one of these days, God the father is going to look to Jesus and he's going to say, son, go get your bride. And he's going to come get us and take us home to be with him. The bride would have to be ready at any time because she never knew when he was coming back to get her. And the groom would show up with his friends and he'd get the bride and they would parade back to their own house. And, and that's what Jesus is talking about in John 14 when he said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. He's preparing that house where we're going to live as the bride, where we're going to get to be with him. And he said, I go to if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also. Wonderful words. He's coming back for us. Not a fairy tale, not something somebody made up. One of these days, as I said, God's going to say, Son, go get your bride. Jesus is the groom who has the house ready for us. We are the bride that have been bought with the price, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the time is right, 
He's going to take us to that home where we will get to be with him forever. We'll get to be home forever. And there's only one way that you can get there, and that is to move from the cradle of Christmas to the cross of Calvary. To go from that babe that was born in the manger and understand the perfect sinless life that he lived, and that he went to an old rugged cross and suffered and bled and died for my sin and for your sin and paid our sin debt. When he went to the cross, it was so that we could come home. Not just come home for Christmas, but to get to come home for all of eternity. We get to be a part of him. Later in that same chapter, John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus said, if a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode, make our home with him. One day we'll get to go to be with him, but he says right now he's at home with us. Can I ask you a question this morning? If Jesus is living in you, as a child of God, he comes to live within you. Does he feel at home? You ever think about that? Does he feel, are there things going on in your life that Jesus would be uncomfortable with? Are we living in such a way that he feels at home with us? You know, some people you can be around, you just feel at home with them, don't you? I hope the Lord feels that way with you, and I hope he feels that way with me. When we believe and receive him, he comes and makes his home in our hearts. It's interesting that Jesus has prepared a home for us even though there was no room for him when he was born. Despite the fact that we kicked Jesus out of our world, he still invites us into his world. He said there's a place for those who believe in him. In fact, he left the disciples some instructions and he went to prepare a place for them. And, and we all, in a sense, we are headed for that home if we're saved and if we're a child of God. But here's part of the problem. Part of the problem is that most of us are too tied to this place here. We're too tied to what's going on here. I mentioned not too long ago on our prayer list on Wednesday nights, we have a lot of people we're praying for. Somebody has cancer, somebody has this illness, somebody has that illness, and we're praying. And I said, we spend more time praying people out of heaven than we do praying people out of hell. You ever thinking about that? Lord, heal them. Lord, help them to get better. Lord, don't let... And we're praying them out of heaven. I was at the hospital. The man that was dying not too long ago and his wife was begging him not to leave. Is it such a bad thing? We leave this world where we're going. Where are we going? If we're saved, we're going to heaven. And God didn't choose to heal that man. He took him home to heaven, and he's not, he is healed. He's perfect now. Sickness is gone. Now, I know, I understand we want to stay around for our loved ones, and we want to stay around for our kids and our grandkids. I understand all of that. But there ought to be something that pulls us toward heaven, amen, and toward the Lord to be with him. When our life here is over, we're transferred to another home. Either it's a home of eternal joy with the Lord forever, or it's a place of terrible torment forever and ever without God and without Christ. There's only two possible destinations. 
The Apostle Paul understood where home really was. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6, he said, Therefore we are always confident. I like the way Paul put it. We're always confident. Not fuzzy about it, not hoping, not thinking. He said we're confident. The next word is knowing. Therefore, we're always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, as long as I'm in this body, he says, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul said, as long as I'm here on this earth and in this body, I'm absent from the Lord, but one of these days I'm going to leave this body and I get to be present with the Lord. And he went on and said, for me, it's better to be there, but for you, it's better for me to be here. He said, I need to stay around a little bit longer to help you out. And the Lord allowed him to do that. We want to reach more people. There used to be a, a, a well-known song that was entitled, Wait a Little Longer, Lord Jesus. And it was talking about the coming of the Lord. And the song said, Wait a little longer, Lord Jesus. Most of us are praying, even so come. We want him to come. But the songwriter said, Wait a little longer, Lord Jesus, till I get my loved ones in. Till I reach my friends and loved ones who are not saved. And in that sense, we may want a little bit more time to reach others for Christ and, and help them to be prepared. But there ought to be that longing that we want to be absent from the body and present with Him. Robert Frost has written a poem where a husband and wife argue about whether to take an old, troublesome acquaintance into their home because he's dying and has nowhere else to go. The husband doesn't really want him in the home. And the husband said, home is that place where when you go there, they have to take you in. <laughs> when you go there, they have to take you in. But his wife disagreed. She said, I'd rather say home is what you don't have to deserve. It's what you don't have to deserve. When you go home, they don't take you in because you deserve it. Amen? Take you in because you're part of the family. By the way, none of us get into heaven because we deserve it. We've all sinned. We've all disobeyed. We've all broken God's laws. We get to heaven because of the grace of God. Because of His blood that's washed away our sins. We don't deserve our destiny because there's no way we can earn our way to a home in heaven. Some girls were out one Christmas ringing the bell at the Salvation Army kettle and one of the ways the girls tried to express their tidings of joy was to hand out free cookies while they were ringing the bell. And one lady said to them, she said, I can't give you anything because my hands are full. She had packages and she was using that as her excuse not to give anything. And one of the, little, one of the girls there, she said, that's okay. Would you like a free cookie? And the lady said, sure. And she arranged the packages and reached out for the cookie. <laughs> I think that's... <clears throat> kind of like us sometimes, isn't it? Lord, I can't because I all this stuff. But boy, we can rearrange it to get what we want, can't we? I can't go to church because. I can't serve God because. I've got good news for you today. We don't have to give God anything for Christmas. Because he's the one that gave to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He wants to give us something. And if our hands are so full that we don't have room 
for what he wants to give us, he still wants to give it to us. He still wants to meet the needs in our life. The Apostle John wrote down these words in Revelation 21 and verse 3. It shows God's homesickness for us. He said, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, neither crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. You see, God's home now is among his people. The entire Bible is pointing to that very moment, even if things are good for you at Christmas time, there's still a sense in our minds and hearts that the best is yet to come, amen? The best is yet to come. And so I ask you this morning, will you come home to him this Christmas? A little girl got really angry one day when she was about eight years old and she threatened to run away from home. Her older brother was very compassionate to her situation and crisis, and so he offered to help pack her bags. <laughs> and she packed her little suitcase that she had, little Barbie suitcase, and started across the yard, and then in just a few moments, she turned around and came back because she didn't have another home to go to. But when we know Christ as our Savior, we have another home to go to, don't we? The songwriter said, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And in a sense, we're all runaways, aren't we? And God's calling us home. He's calling us back to Him. I picture the prodigal son who was so far from home, he didn't think his father would ever take him back and he had drifted so much and sinned so much that the only hope he had was if he could come back home, not as a child, but come back home as a servant. If I could just work for the Father, maybe everything would be all right. You see, he wanted to come back home on the good works plan. Nobody earns their way to heaven. You don't get to heaven because you did good works. We get to heaven because the price has already been paid on the cross at Calvary by the Lord Jesus Christ. And what the prodigal son did not know is that the father had never stopped looking for him. He had never quit looking. And when he saw him afar off, he runs to meet him and welcomes him home. And our heavenly father has never stopped looking. It's not that he doesn't know where we are. We don't know where he is. And he's waiting with his arms stretched out for the lost person to come to him for salvation, for the saved person to come back to him and get back in fellowship with him and live for Him and serve Him. Our Heavenly Father is always ready to receive runaways. And if we'll come back, He will receive us. Because we long to be home. We don't want to be homeless. And we can find our home with God. With Him. Christmas is all about God's homecoming. We couldn't get God, so God got us. Squire Parsons wrote that song. Many of you know it. It says, He came to me. The gulf that separated me from Christ my Lord. It was so vast, the crossing I could never ford. From where I was to His domain, it seemed so far. I cried, Dear Lord, 
I cannot come to where you are. He came to me. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. That's why he died on Calvary. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. He came to me when I was bound in chains of sin. He came to me when I possessed no hope within. He picked me up and he drew me gently to his side, where today in his sweet love I now abide. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. You see, the Bible says that they would call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it was God the creator coming to be with the creation. God chose to be with us. God chose to live in our neighborhood, if you please, so that one day we could go and live in his heavenly neighborhood for all of eternity. Someone said Christmas is the end of thinking you are better than someone else because Christmas is telling you that you could never get to heaven on your own. God came to you. Do you want to be home for Christmas? Then come home to Christ. Come to the Lord. Make things right with Him. You will remain unfulfilled and restless and homesick until God becomes your dwelling place and you find your home in Him. It's time for us to come home to Him this morning. Good news is we don't have to find our way home. He's already found it for us, hasn't he? He's already made the way. This morning, I want to give you a chance to come home. Come home to God and come home to the Lord Jesus. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Father, thank you for the home that you've provided for you in us, that when we get saved, you come and live within us. Thank you for the home you've provided for us in heaven. When we leave this world, we get to go be with you. Lord, this morning there may be some people that need to come home for Christmas. They need to come home to you. Trust you as their Lord and Savior. Understand the true meaning of Christmas. God dwelt with men. You gave your son to die so that we could have eternal life. Jesus shed his precious blood on the cross to make full payment for our sin. Lord, for those who have never trusted in Jesus Christ and his shed blood alone for their salvation, would you help them to do it today? And the Lord, there may be some people who are saved, but they've gotten away from you. They've drifted. And you stand with your arms outstretched as you did for the prodigal son to say, come home, come home. May those who have drifted away from you come back at this Christmas season and say, Lord, I'm homesick for you. I want you in my life. I want the joy of the Lord again. I want the blessings of living for God and serving God. Lord, would you help us all to share that wonderful story at, at this Christmas time with others. Tell them the real reason of Christmas. Point them to the Savior. And would you help us all to come home to God this Christmas?
For we ask it in Jesus' name.